Welcome to the Clemson Dubcast. It is Thursday, March 30th. We have learned an awful lot during spring practice so far. They're in their third week. The offensive transformation under Garrett Riley certainly underway. And there are some unmistakable features of that that Paul Strelo and I are covering extensively right now at TigerIllustrated.com. So if you aren't already a subscriber, now is a great time to do it. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse and neglect, car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. All right, what a journey for Furman's basketball team and play-by-play man Dan Scott, but also what a journey for Dan personally over the better part of the last decade. Great catching up with Dan here. Hope y'all enjoy. Okay, joined by Dan Scott. Man, we got a lot to catch up on. How you doing? L Dub, I am doing great, man. It's uh, it's good to hear from you. And when you texted me the other day, I I, I kind of laughed and texted you back and said, "Yep, life comes full circle, doesn't it?" <laughs> it used to be the roles were reversed when I would come in, I guess twice a week on uh, CCP and spend a I don't know a couple hours with you. Maybe I forgot I forgot what exactly the routine was. Yeah, I mean, at some point we just couldn't get rid of you, I, you know. So that's that's how that normally works out. But no, those were were fun days. Uh, I've I've always uh, always enjoyed talking with you. I, I still tell people today, uh, I've got a lot of friends on the Clemson beat, but in my mind, you're still the best. So well, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, and I, and I wrote that exactly the way you you sent it to me, right? I mean, I read that the way you wrote it down, right? So. I remember, I don't know how I remember this because my memory is usually not very good, but I was, I think I was eating lunch. No, I think, uh, I think you and I were eating lunch at Super Taco, the old Super Taco over there, um, over there on 123 when it was sort of a hole in the wall. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where I said, Hey, would you ever be interested in 
and me coming on your show periodically. Back then, I was at the Post and Courier. I don't remember what year it was. It might have been 07. I think it was before Dabo took over, maybe. Um, maybe after. I can't remember. But you were like, sure. So then, then it started. And lasted the entire rest of the time that I was on the air over there. Uh, and we, we had some good times and got a lot of coverage done amidst uh, all the other stuff. And, and, you know, you were part of what is still probably my favorite interview and, and easily the interview in the entire uh, 11 years I was on the air there that had the most impact, the one with Billy Davis. Oh, I was there. I, I, yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. No, you, no, you were there I, for that one. I was reminding myself that I was there because I've, I've interviewed Billy so many times uh, since then. He's become a friend that I, I had forgotten. Oh, was that when? They, was, had just, they, they had just lost to Kentucky, and he was very, um, let's say, aggressive about – the conflict that was going on at the time between athletics and the administration and, and, you know, whole academics and what they were doing about not letting certain players in. And his great quote, if you remember, is you can't be Duke and Virginia during the week and Clemson on Saturday. Mm. Wow. So, and of, course, and of course the next year things kind of loosened up. Uh, a little bit they got that conflict resolved and and the rest as we know is history this was the um aarc academic review committee yes and and you know what i said they lost to kentucky actually i think they lost to south florida and charlotte okay so this uh, yeah yeah and that's what that's what prompted the 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 conversation because the the level of athlete that south florida had at the time and yeah, it was the whole AARC thing, and 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 Billy, the, the the you know he was still working for the Secret Service then, and, and his great comment was, "What are they going to do? Fire me?" <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm getting my timeline a little conflicted here because the AARC thing really came to a head around that 2007, 2006, 2007 period because there was the kid who went to North Carolina. His name was Dwight Jones. Mm-hmm. And maybe one other guy that Clemson flagged academically, and they couldn't get into Clemson, but they could at North Carolina, and that created a furor. I think on signing day, I want to say that was '07. So the South Florida thing, that was of course three years later in Dabo's second full after Dabo's second full season. It might have been two different conversations, Dan. It might you might have. Billy might have said some profound things during the whole AARC fiasco, but then also said some similarly profound things when everybody was all over Dabo and just laughing at the notion that he could be a competent head coach, let alone a national championship head coach. And I remember Billy really put his support behind Dabo when the, when the chips were down and said, this is the guy um, and said, people are crazy who, were already ready to get rid of him. Billy Davis has said a lot of profound things in his life. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and being, uh, to, to borrow the phrase, all in with Dabo from the very beginning, his faith was obviously rewarded. When, when, would, when were you done at CCP? 
late January of 2012 is wow. when that wrapped up. Yep. Okay. So that was after the, so it was a few weeks after 70 to 33, I guess. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. As a matter of fact, there are a bunch of people who thought that I got fired because I was a West Virginia fan. <laughs> are you serious? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, 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 re- I remember, uh, remember seeing that and, and, and just laughing um, uh, over that whole thing. But yeah, you know, Hey, the internet's a, a, a marvelous place for a lot of those kind of theories. Let's go back to what brought you to Clemson in the first place. Speaking of, I guess, West Virginia, you came from West Virginia, right? Honey, honey, actually came from Cincinnati, Cincinnati. We were, we were living in Cincinnati at the time. And, you know, I, I was in, in, in the media at that juncture, mostly doing newspaper work. And, and my wife was in retail management. So about every 18 months we were moving somewhere. We had gone from West Virginia to Florida to, Rocky Mount, North Carolina, which I always say is not the end of the world, but you can see it from there. Uh, back to West Virginia, Cincinnati. And then she was working with the Target Corporation at the time. And the, they were getting ready to open the very first Target here on Woodruff Road. And she got an offer to come here and wanted to accept it because she had family here. And, and so the first week of 1999, we moved from Cincinnati to the upstate. And, and Larry, I remember thinking to myself, what in the world am I going to do in Clemson, South Carolina? But she was making more money than I was at the time. And it, as we were following career patterns, it seemed to be the right move. And little did we know it would turn out to be the very best move, but not for the reasons that we thought. All right. And so what happened thereafter? <laughs> as you sort of developed a foothold in the well, media world? Well, I, I got a job at the, uh, the, the Seneca newspaper. Then it was just called the Journal and Messenger, but they were going to go from three days a week to a daily. So I got hired there to help in that transition and served as the sports editor there for three years. And during that time, as most people would do who have a, a sports background, would flip on the radio and listen to what was then uh, one-on-one sports, the national sports talk show at night when I would leave at like midnight or, or whatever from the newspaper. And, of course, that was on WCCP back in the days when it was still on the 104.9 frequency, well before the, the move to 105.5. Started then listening to some of the daily talk shows, and that's when I discovered a, a, a very sweet, sweet man by the name of Tommy Powell. Mm-hmm. And, and Tommy and I got to be friendly. He brought me on his show a couple of times because I was covering Clemson as a writer then. And I just happened to mention that, you know, I got my start in radio. I did four years uh, at my hometown radio station before transitioning to newspaper. And, uh, you know, it's a, opportunity ever came maybe it'd be fun to do a uh, a weekly talk show or something like that so in november of 99 he gave me absolutely the worst time slot you could possibly have especially in the south in the bible belt noon to two on sunday <laughs> to, to, st- to start a to start a weekly talk show and and i did and i did that for over a year 
and, and as that relationship began to develop, uh, would fill in for some of the daily hosts when they would go on vacation or would be sick or something along those lines. And then in uh, February of 2001, when uh, Carl the Mad Dog Schilling left the uh, midday slot, what was then 10 to noon would become 9 to noon, uh, I took it over and uh, did that daily show for, um, I think it was two weeks shy of 11 full years. Carl the Mad Dog Schilling. I don't think I've ever heard that name. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a New York guy. Uh, used to be the uh, the baseball coach at Southern Wesleyan University years ago, and uh, he, he was doing he was doing ten to noon when when I first got involved with the radio station. So, yeah, Carl the Mad Dog Schilling, a a, a very um, very unique individual, <laughs> as you might imagine from the name. <laughs> well, so what was the arrangement when you got the twelve to two Sunday show to start off? Are you getting paid? Are you selling ads to get paid? How does how did that work? Are you doing it for they, free? They were, they, they were, yeah. Basically, they were giving me ad time to sell, and that's what I I got to keep. You know, they gave me X number of minutes to sell, and that's the arrangement that I had on the the Daily Show as well. Uh, they would give me time to sell a certain number of minutes. I could keep all the revenue for those minutes, and then any, anything beyond that, you know, it would be a commission. Um, so it, it was really a, a pretty good arrangement for both sides because they got what I'd like to think was a quality talk show basically for free. And it enabled me to, to make money. And, and I started doing it while I was still at the newspaper kind of as a hobby. And, and then it didn't take long for me to realize that with just a little bit of effort, and I'm, I'm all about giving a little effort, you know that. But with just a little bit of effort, my hobby could actually make more money for me than my real job. And I would not be away from my family as much. You know, when you and you, and you know this, you worked in, in the post at the Post and Courier, as you said, uh, when you are a, a one person sports department or even a two person sports department at a daily newspaper, your day starts usually before noon and ends after midnight five, maybe six days a week. And, you know, my, my children were small at the time. I was missing a lot of time with them. And it, it was, it was a gamble. It was a, a calculated risk, but uh, it, it really worked out. It, it enabled me to, to make more money and it enabled me to spend more time with my family. You mentioned you're working at the paper till midnight, just to put it in layman's terms. So you're, you're literally laying out the next day's pages that's why you're there I, that night right right that late right, writing stories go, going out covering games high school games college whatever it is coming back writing those stories online and then doing the actual layout of the paper on on the computer program we had and then having to wait for it to come off the press the first run to make sure there was nothing wrong with it and and, and then to go home so i usually walked out of there you know, about twelve thirty in the morning, uh, every morning. By the time the first run came off the press, it's a grueling uh, existence um, for <laughs> for very little pay. I remember my first job. It was in High Point, North Carolina. It was like a thirty thousand circulation paper, and like a f- Friday night, 
you know, or a, you have to work a random desk shift during during the week. <clears throat> You're literally getting out of there at one in the morning or so, mm-hmm. um, and just a totally different sort of lifestyle and body clock and all that. And I resolve. Well, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the the other the other side of it is too that I I had a, a bit of a competitive spirit at that time. And you know that the the bigger newspapers, uh, the Greenville News, the the Anderson Independent at, at the time would would have a cutoff that they had to go to press at a certain time. So it's it's like you know basically any newspaper in years past, you didn't get the late ball scores in 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 the uh, in, in the paper. You didn't get the box scores in the agate page. You didn't get certain stories in because of a. Uh, of a cutoff time, I convinced our publisher to let the sports section be the last thing done so we could get those late games in and have things in that the other papers didn't have. Just looking for any little advantage that we could get because we were a smaller paper, a newer daily trying to make a mark. And so some of that stuff was self-inflicted, if I'm being totally honest. But, uh, you know, even with that, it might have saved me a half hour, 45 minutes. It's so crazy to sort of examine the landscape less than 20 years ago of, you know, like you were mentioning, the people who, uh, the, the competition among the major media outlets that were around here. And it's just been sort of flipped upside down or torn apart. I don't even, I don't know what, how, 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 how best to describe it, but, um, it's become gone from a total newspaper world to now uh, one where the area newspapers, like the Greenville News, is a shell of what it once was. The state, the state actually still has um, somebody covering Clemson, um, Chapel Fowler. He lives in Columbia, but comes up here on a fairly regular basis. Charleston still has someone uh, in the area covering Clemson, John Blau, who lives in Greenville. And uh, comes over on a regular basis, but back then, I mean, I remember going to McDonald's or some breakfast spot in the morning and just grabbing like three newspapers and mm-hmm. comparing what you know Ken Titians wrote uh, for the Anderson or, or for the State. He was in Anderson, then went on to the State, and then John Solomon, what he had uh, for the Anderson paper and then the Seneca paper as you said Greenville News it's just uh man it, it's amazing how I don't want to come off as an old get off my lawn guy but it's amazing how um how different things are now with that, and, and, that and, and the actual print version of the newspapers in the area the ones that still do they go to press what about six o'clock and 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 push everything to their websites correct me if I'm wrong Larry but isn't the Post and Courier really the only one that's still almost doing newspaper the way newspaper used to be done as far as staffing and, and, and things like that. They are. Um, and I think a big part of that is, um, they are family owned. And so they're not beholden to the same sort of corporate, um, um, you know, layoffs and such, you know, when you're not making the rev and when your stockholders are upset, then you really don't have a choice. You got to cut 10% of this or that. But I don't think the Posting Courier's immune um, to a lot of those realities. And in fact, I think that 
and what they're trying to do right now is 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 shift things over to digital and probably more discouraging of of distributing the print product than they used to be in terms of yeah. those deadlines and such and getting the papers to the outlying areas is basically like no we're not going to do that anymore but yeah. on the other hand they're blanketing the state meaning the state of South Carolina and and trying to move in to these places where newspapers the local newspapers are a shell of of what they once were and trying to capitalize on that i mean they have a bureau in greenville they have a bureau in myrtle beach a bureau in columbia and i want to say they're about to about to open one in florence so anyway they're trying to be the paper of or the news source of record in the state of south carolina but as it pertains to the actual hard copy newspaper part of it yeah i mean mm. that's that's kind of uh that's dissipating too i think yeah the bottom line is always the bottom line isn't it yeah yeah but it's crazy the 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 farther we get from the printed product the more i feel like i kind of need it <laughs> because yeah you're you're just assaulted with all this different information and there's no real digest of it it's just headlines left and right and I'm like, man, it'd be great to have something that where you had the most important thing on one page <laughs> and then less important things on the inside and then a sports section where the most important sporting events were on this front page. Oh, that's what we used to have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of crazy. It, yeah, things have, have most definitely changed. And, and look, I, I'm, I'm a guy who's always been fascinated by technology. You know, even going back to to when I was a kid, you know, my parents used to buy me radios uh, back in in the early 70s uh, and and I would take them apart to see how they worked. And usually when I got finished, they didn't. Um, And you you and I are close to the same age. I I consider myself to be what I call the bridge generation. I, I can still remember having only three channels on television. I can remember the first widespread video games that came to your home the original atari uh and and, you know i had one when i was a kid the big thing was the the pac-man game that came out for atari that was just that was crazy back in the early 1980s um and 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 to see where we are now with how technology has has moved forward all the way up to and including artificial intelligence i've i've bridged that gap between nothing and everything and um, sometimes I, I think it's fascinating, and, and sometimes I wonder if we wouldn't be better off the way things used to be, but that's the crotchety old man in me coming out. Speaking of which, Pac-Man in the early 80s on Atari looked and sounded nothing like the actual arcade game. Uh, no, it, it didn't, but it, it still was Pac-Man. <laughs> so. <laughs> and, still... they, and, they, and they knew how to market it, Larry. That's right. That's right. They knew how to market it. Semi-related topic. We're talking about the death of newspapers. I just finished a terrific article in Sports Illustrated on the death of the local sports anch- TV sports anchor. And this passage blew my mind uh, in terms of what local sports anchors used to make financially. Mm-hmm. And I'll I'll read this passage. In the time before cable, it was not uncommon for half of the households in a community to tune into local news. 
and sports anchors were paid accordingly, able to earn seven-figure salaries in a large market and high six in plenty of places of else, places elsewhere. Let's be honest, this guy, Rogan, Ro- Rogan, I forgot his first name. He was the dominant L.A. Uh, local sports anchor for three, four decades. Let's be honest, in local news, we were all overpaid for a lot of years. The stations made a lot of money, and we were handsomely compensated. How much so? In 1981, Washington's WDVM-TV 9 poached the charismatic something Brenner from Philadelphia with the breathlessness with the breathlessness reserved for covering a football free agent signing, the Washington Post wrote about Brenner's five-year, $3.5 million deal, which included $200,000 for his children's education and a $50,000 signing bonus. This, again, was 1981, when annual per capita income was $13,976. That is amazing. I had no idea that... Local TV sports anchors made that much money. I didn't either. And as you're reading that, I'm lamenting the fact that maybe I went into the wrong end of the business because <laughs> uh, I could have at least gotten in on the tail end of that, you know, maybe 30 years ago or whatever. But it's just, it's the nature of how things change. I mean, before television became uh, the thing. Everybody was glued to radio, and and radio people made uh, exorbitant salaries. I'm a huge fan of of, of old time radio. You know the 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 shows that became the TV shows like Dragnet and the Jack Benny Show, and and all of those things. And and those people in the in the 1930s and 40s, and and you think about what the average salary was at that time, maybe between four and six thousand dollars. A lot of those just regular cast members of shows were making $7,000 a week in those times. Not to mention what a Jack Benny, who was the star of the show might be making Um, before that. And, and, and during that period of time, and and, I think you're a newspaper history guy, like I am. Can you imagine how well a guy like Red Smith was compensated? Oh yeah. During his time, he's in, in my mind, still the best newspaper columnist that's ever lived. And he worked from the, the 1930s until his death in, in 1981. And how, how well would, would he have been compensated for doing that job, writing between three and five columns a week? What, uh, as you move through the years do, doing more radio and then still writing, covering Clemson football, what was your relationship like with Tommy Bowden? What was it like covering the program in those days when they – uh, were certainly higher profile, uh, certainly had glimpses of uh, taking that next step, but never really did. Always seemed to stub their toe. Uh, it seemed like they could beat anybody, but lose to anybody. What What are your recollections from those days? Um, a lot of what you just said. Uh, I, I still think, Larry, that Tommy does not get the credit he deserves for laying the foundation that Dabo took and ran with. And what I mean by that is Tommy Bowden took the job in 1999. He and I arrived at Clemson in the same year. So I got to cover him from the very beginning and immediately walked into this campus and started telling people that the facilities were substandard. 
And, and and you remember at that time, you're you're less than 20 years removed from the 81 national championship, and and people are saying, who's this guy telling us that our facilities are are not good enough? We we won a national championship with these with these facilities. But he wouldn't take no for an answer and, and kept kicking and screaming and, and trying to make people understand this is why Florida State is zooming by. This is why, you know, he used to always talk about Florida State and Penn State at the time, his dad and, and Joe Paterno and any number of other schools. And and he's the one who got the ground broken for the West End Zone project. And, and as soon as they put a shovel in the ground, that's when recruiting jumped. Remember, that's when James Davis signed and, and that offensive line class signed and, and shortly thereafter in, in, in a handful of years would come cj spiller and and we know that 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 was all the beginning i don't think he gets enough credit for dragging the Furman football fan base and, and even the administration kicking and screaming into 21st century football clemson and, and, and uh, yeah clemson yeah. football I, I i don't think he gets enough credit for for doing that uh, and laying that foundation Never won more than nine games, and, and obviously that's that's why uh, ultimately the change was made. They never quite got over that hump, but I, I believe that it was it was his vision of what Clemson needed to become and the the improvements they needed to make in their facilities and their infrastructure that laid the groundwork for what Dabo Sweeney, as I said, then took with his vision added to that foundation and has taken it to, to heights that, that Clemson people probably never dreamed they could reach. Um, Tommy was, was an interesting guy, as you know, and, and, and you covered him. I always said that if the general public could have seen the Tommy Bowden that met with the small group of writers, those of us who were there waiting on him after practice at the tombstones, if, if the general public could have seen that Tommy Bowden, as opposed to the one, that we saw on the Tuesday press conference every week, that maybe the feeling would have been a little bit different about it. But when the press conference lights went on, and you know you were there, it's like a like a, a sheet went down or, or whatever. Just the, the expression on the face changed, and, and the answers that he would give sometimes were very stock and had people scratching their heads. He was completely different with that small group of us after practice every day. And um, I, I'm, I'm friends with him today. Uh, I, I have have uh, asked his advice on on some ministry things that I'm doing uh, because we share we share faith obviously in, in Jesus Christ and um, he, he's been very helpful to me in in that area and uh, it, it is I, I think he's a wonderful guy I, I think he has a, a wonderful family I think he was there at the right time to do what he did and, and then Dabo Sweeney of course came on. And, and took it to incredible heights. See, I kind of view it, I view him in those days as kind of always having his guard up, even when he was, even in the more candid moments. And maybe that is not fair. Maybe my view of what a guard being down looks like has been skewed too much by having Dabo Sweeney, whose guard is never up. Right. And who's like, you know, the most genuine, um, gregarious guy in the world. Um, so I don't know. I, it, it, I, the way I saw it was, was Tommy 
he certainly wasn't it wasn't bad. It's not like he he was Nick Saban, you know, in in front right. of microphones or 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 when the cameras were off. But it was almost like you, you always had that lingering question: Does he really love this place? You know, is he really invested in this place? Because it, to me at least, and I think to others as well, it never really came out. Um, do you think that's fair? You know, I've never really thought about that, quite honestly. Um, but but I, I, I can see where that would be a fair assessment. It, just that that wasn't his personality. Yeah. Um, and, and he was a very guarded individual. Uh, I don't think there's any question about that. Um, and, and maybe that's because he saw how his father was treated in Morgantown at West Virginia before he took the Florida State job. I mean, they, they, they hung Bobby Bowden in effigy while he yeah. was still the head coach at, at West Virginia University. So, so maybe, maybe that's why he was the way he was. I don't know that. I'm, I'm just speculating. But that would have to make an impact on you if you saw your dad going through that. Uh, and, and then you become a head coach. I mean, there, there's no question about it. He was a circle of the wagons guy and and keep everything inside and, and was very guarded about what he said. But, you know, the, the original part of your question, my relationship with him was, was good then. Uh, it, it's, it's, I would say, better now because we're, we're in different places. He's not coaching anymore. I'm not covering him as a, as a writer or a broadcaster anymore. I always appreciated Tommy. Because he came on my show every it was either Tuesday or Thursday. I think it was every Thursday, win or lose, yeah, during the season, and, and would answer the tough questions. Now he may not give the answer people wanted to hear, and he might tap dance, and he might be guarded, but he never said, "I'm not coming on your show because you asked me such and such." He came on every week, and he answered every question, and, and I, I appreciated that because. You know, not a lot of coaches would do that, and especially on the flagship station of the of the university. You know, why are you asking me why we did such and such on third and third and two? You know, why are why are you asking? Me? I never got any of that from him. He answered the questions. And was that were those appearances something that came from you asking him, or was it more just a relationship between him and the flagship? No, it was, it was me. It, it was me. I asked him at one, at one point on, on my show in those days, I had the only regular interviews with, with Tommy, with Oliver Purnell, who was the basketball coach at the time. And with Jack Leggett, they all came on my show in season during that time. Wow. And, and, and that was, that was just building the professional relationship and, and, and guys knowing that they could trust me that, yeah, I was going to ask questions that needed to be asked, but I wasn't going to ambush them. I wasn't going to, to humiliate them, try to do things for ratings, you know, try to be a shock jock. I, I look at it because of having that, that decade plus in newspaper. I looked at myself as still in those days, more of a journalist than I did as a talk show host. And, and when I interviewed somebody, I wanted to interview them like I was doing a newspaper story to a certain degree. And I, you know, so I didn't shy away from asking the tough questions, but I, I, I did not shock jock them like some people do and still are doing today. And then Dabo uh, continues that weekly routine when he takes over, correct? For several yeah, years? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. 
he, he did, uh, to his credit, uh, up until I think the last year I was on, uh, he, I think maybe he, he changed his mind that he would only do it, you know, once a month or something like that. I can't remember, but for the first, for the first, uh, at least two or three seasons, yeah, he, he stepped into that role and, and did the show, uh, every week uh, again on Thursdays in season. I remember being in there <laughs> and helping ask the questions and, and when things, you know, when things weren't going great in 09 and 10 and, you know, it's not obvious he's a hall of fame, a future hall of fame coach. I was peppering him too. So I hope I wasn't part of the, <laughs> part of the reason that he decided to back off some. Now, I, I, I think that was part of a, a broader picture uh, uh, because he, he started limiting his access to the media at large, yep. uh, the writers and everybody else to, to just, you know, a certain time during the week, rather than meeting with them every day after practice, like we have become accustomed to. Uh, and you know, that, that didn't sit well with some people, I'm sure, but he, he has obviously been a lot more successful in his job than I've been in. So, um, who, who, who am I to, to say what he did was right or wrong, right? All right. So how did it go down when 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 you were let go at the station? I remember it being very abrupt, uh, but that's about the only thing I can remember uh, of that it, episode. It, it, it was, and, and uh, I, I, I knew you were going to ask this question, or at least I figured you would. So I, I'm going to try to be as as transparent and as vulnerable as I can. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's been a decade, so I figure yeah. that you can, um, because, because I, I, I want to make something clear at the very beginning. I have nothing but great memories of my time at CCP and every good thing that's happened to me professionally in, in the last 20 years has been because of my association with that radio station. That's how I got hooked up with, with Furman all of these interviews that I've been able to do with, with just incredible national sports people and, and sports legends and all every good thing that's happened to me professionally has happened because of my relationship with WCCP. But, but to your question, how it ended, um, Larry, my personal life was a wreck mm. at that time. Uh, and, and those, those last, especially two or three years, uh, I was I was drinking way too much. Um, my my wife and I, our relationship was was uh, tenuous at best. Uh, I, I was leading a double life. I was not being a, a faithful husband and a good father. I had a lot of demons that I was trying to to process, and um, but I, I did a good job of hiding it. For those three hours that I was on the air, uh, that was still, you know, that was still Dan Scott. That's still who he was. And and we did a lot of great charity work, as you know, during the time there. But I, I was really struggling in my personal life at the time. And uh, Chris Downey came in as the, the general manager and he, he was trying to buy the station and, and that didn't work. And he was a very... Um, aggressive, bombastic type of, of person who, as I found out later, kind of had some of his own demons that he was working with or working through. But he wanted everybody to be shock jock, in your face, mm. screaming controversy. And, and that's just not 
that's not who I am. Had I tried to do that, it would have been so easily fake, especially after being on the air for 10 years. And so I, I resisted that. Um, in November of 2011, when all of the, the Penn State stuff came to a head, and I can't remember the assistant coach's name there now that, that was Sandusky. Uh, was Sandusky, yeah. Uh, convicted of all of the the uh, um, child molestation charges and, and went to jail. Um, I chose that time to because I thought it would generally help people, and, and I think it did based on the response that I got. I shared for the first time ever. I'd never even told my family that I had been sexually abused as a child by a group of older boys in the area where my grandmother lived, and he did not want me to do that. His exact words were, this is not the Oprah Winfrey show. And I chose to do it anyway because I just felt that there was a, a higher calling, and under the circumstances with everything that was going on, it was a sports story. But it also had a a a a, a personal um, was a personal interest to me because it had happened to me. So he didn't want me to do that. I did it anyway. And the, the morning I did it, he said, "I just want you to know I'm not on board with this." And of course, the 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 impact was incredible. And I don't know if that was the the straw that broke the camel's back where he was concerned. Um, all I know is that on, I think it was January the 20th of 2012, it was a Friday. I finished my show five minutes before I went off the air. Somebody came in and said, Hey, Chris wants to see you before, uh, you leave. And I went back to his office and he said, um, we are going to make a change. We are going to take the, uh, the station and this time slot in a different direction. And that's it. Never got a chance to say goodbye to my listening audience, which is what you do in radio, because if he'd have told me he was going to fire me and then set me back on the air, you know, what was I likely to say? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's that's how it works in, in this business. But it ended that abruptly. And, um, you know, publicly, I, I tried to handle it as well as I could. There were some people who did not take it well and tried to do some things to make Chris's life miserable and make the radio station's life miserable. And again, being as transparent as I could, I could have put a stop to it, but I didn't, but I maintained the high road that I wasn't doing any of it. And that was a mistake on my part. I, I should have said, you know, just stop it but, because it, it's all, you know, it is what it is. Can we get but more specific not, on that? Well, just, you know, people who were trying to boycott the station, people who would just call the station and call shows and, you know, under the guise of, of wanting to talk about a topic and, hey, why'd you fire Dan Scott? And we want him back and those type of things. And I knew it was going on. I wasn't encouraging it, but I knew it was going on and I didn't do anything to stop it. And, and that was wrong on my part. But again, I was not in a great place then because my life was was a shambles uh, privately. Looking back on it with the 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 wonderful lens of hindsight being 2020 it was the best thing that ever happened to me and and and, you know chris would have no way of knowing this although um a year or so later i I did send him a, a text or an email or something telling him this but you know i was living in a hotel at the time i'd moved out 
that that's where my wife and I mm. were. And I, and I had to move back because I didn't have any way to keep paying the hotel bill. Or I think I was doing it on an advertising trade and I didn't have a show to trade anymore. So I had to move back to the house. And you know, long, long story short, that was the, the early part of a, a six-month period where things had blown up in my marriage. in uh, uh, two days before Christmas in 2011, and a six-month period that I was still struggling and still fighting the, 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 the internal demons that I was, I was trying to, to deal with until finally I couldn't go any further. And on June 10th of 2012, I, I surrendered my life to, to Jesus Christ and, and uh, started following him. And uh, it's the best decision I've ever made. It made a complete 180 degree change in my attitude, in my the, the way that that I viewed uh, not only my time at CCP but life. It gave me a new purpose in my life, and everything that I've done since then has been trying to 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 do things to glorify God. And, and I've made some mistakes along the way, but uh, the bottom line is that God will use people to get your attention or to do things that you won't do for yourself. And if I had stayed on that radio station at that time, uh, Angela and I would have been divorced. I never would have given my life to Christ. And, and, and the way I was going in my health at the time, Larry, I'd probably be dead right now. Um, because you remember, uh, you know, I graduated high school at 195 pounds. I could dunk a basketball. At my worst, I got up to 479 pounds. Um, so there were all kinds of aspects of my life that were screwed up. And I firmly believe that God used Chris Downey to be one of the things he did to get my attention. He took that that um, safety blanket, security blanket away from me, the thing that was allowing me to continue to do stupid stuff because I was making the money to do it and to refocus me on some things. So in the grand scheme of things, it's the best thing that could have happened to me at the time because it, it started me on that, that road to, to this new life that I have in Christ, which is, will be 11 years now coming up in June. And as I said, with that change of perspective, I just, I can't reiterate this enough that I have nothing but great memories and, and wonderful feelings about my time there. I have, nothing but good things to say about the people and every good thing that's happened to me professionally came because I had those 11 years on the air doing that daily talk show. If I don't have that, I don't have the Furman job, which I means I don't have that moment that we had in, in Orlando last week or almost two weeks ago. Now I don't have any of that. And I probably don't have my wife, probably don't have my children and my grandchildren, all of the good things that happened to me professionally happened because of my time at CCP. And, and again, given given the change in perspective in my life now, especially, um, I, I can't say enough good things about the people. You know, George Clement, the owner, Tommy Powell, when he was there, and and, and so many others, Allie Haley, and it just goes right on down the line. That kind of let me do my thing, and and it, it turned out to be one of the simultaneously one of the best and one of the most challenging periods of my life. But I look back on it now and I, I, I 
I just look back on it with with gratitude and, and thankfulness. If you're in the Columbia or Sumter or PD areas and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to UptownRealtySC.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-35. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. I think we should probably share for the listeners just how much of a disruption that was for you because it wasn't just a show. You were also heavily entrenched in the broadcasting of the baseball games. Mm -hmm. Um, Were you the voice or was it, it was, was it at that point it it was was mostly Don Munson and I, um, I, at, at that juncture, I, I had, I did all the games that were on WCCP exclusively, and, and then Bob Mahoney and I would split the the um, uh, the conference games, the conference schedule, working with Don. And at that time, they were trying to get Bob a little more focused on on his fundraising job, so they they gave me more of those conference games. Uh, so by the time that we got to the, you know, 2010, 2011 season 11 was my last one, you know, of the 56 regular season games, I was probably doing 40 to 45 of them plus the entire postseason. Wow. And that was your baby. Yeah. And, and that's, that's one of those things too. Um, that kind of goes along with, with, uh, that whole lifestyle thing we were talking about. Um, you know, baseball is something I always wanted to do on the radio. I grew up listening to Marty Brenneman with the Reds, the Hall of Fame broadcaster. And as an eight-year-old, when I turned the radio on, that's the that, that I knew there was something different and something special, uh, and, and it made me want to do that. And I never had the opportunity until 2005 with, with Clemson. And it, it's funny, Larry. You you go from being very humble and appreciative of the job. And then people start telling you how good you are. Fans, emails, texts, phone calls, people calling the radio station. Oh man, I can't believe it. It's, it's, it's fantastic. You're, you're the best that we've ever had at Clemson. And it doesn't take very long to go from humble and appreciative to ego driven jerk. It didn't take me very long to start believing those people. And uh, so there, when, when, 
when uh, I gave my life to Christ on June 10th of 2012, I think it was on June the 11th, I wrote some apology emails to some people oh, so- over over at Clemson because of, of the way I had acted behind the scenes, trying to manipulate things to get more games and to be the number one guy and and those type of things. Um, I, 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 I wrote some apology emails to uh, Tim Match, to Billy DeAndre. I think I even wrote one to Don uh, at the time because uh, – Again, people tell you you're good enough at something for long enough. It doesn't take too much effort to start to believe them. So it's basically like, I want more games. Don't you know who I am? That kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, you know, listen to the fans. The fans are saying that I should be the number one guy. Why aren't you making me the number one guy? You know, which was, make no mistake, it was the 100% wrong attitude to have. And, and, and I was being a jerk. I was being a, a, a backstabbing, backbiting jerk. And, um, you know, there, there's no excuse for it other than that's just who I was at the time. But it's funny what happens when, when something that you love that much gets taken away from you. And you have to start reassessing yourself. The, the next year we began, I began doing Furman games and, and they weren't doing any games, six games on the radio is all they were doing. And I said, Hey, let's at least do them on the internet. So I went from a, a place where, you know, how Clemson baseball is on the radio, still thousands and thousands and thousands of people listening to it with the advent of the internet and everything else to doing a, a, a Furman baseball game. And, and there might be 32 people listening online. Um, but I, I have to tell you, I had more fun doing those because I was a different person because I was not that egomaniacal jerk that I was. I had a lot of fun at Clemson. Don't get me wrong. Broadcast two college world series covered four. If you count the two, I covered as a writer. And even a fifth when I went in, under an anonymous name one year and covered South Carolina because they didn't want to use my name. But uh, a, a, a website used an anonymous name and sent me out here to cover South kidding? Carolina one year. Yeah, oh, yeah. I think it was I think it was I think it was oh three. I think, I think it was a 2003 season. But yeah, what was the name? I, I can't remember. I, I, I can't remember. But they, they just came up with, you know, it was, it, you know, was wasn't like uh, Johnny Staff writer or anything, but they came up with some name. And I wrote stories all week out in Omaha under that assumed name for this website. But hey, I, you know, do it for a paycheck and get a chance to go to the World Series. You do what you do. I have to interrupt. But, I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt. No, no, no. Go ahead. It's your podcast. You on that on that topic, I'm not naming names here. Well, I'll name, I'll name the fake name. There's a photographer in the area who <laughs> he was shooting. He had a main job for one publication, but then he was shooting on the side for another publication. And mm-hmm. he wasn't allowed to shoot, you know, to moonlight. And so the the photo credit for the photos that would run in the publication that he wasn't allowed to be working for the name was the name of the the credit was Art Vandalay, <laughs> and he actually Van, 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 Vandalay Industries, right? Yeah, Seinfeld, <laughs> right? And and I want to say he actually Art Vandalay, one of his 
pictures like won an award <laughs> state press association <laughs> award and he didn't know how to handle it i don't even i forgot how he handled it but that, oh my god that is classic but but that's indicative of this business <laughs> especially especially you know going back a few years guys working on the side but yeah that's a true story i covered south carolina in 03 as a writer under an assumed name for a website that covered the gamecocks uh, who wanted stories and paid me to go out there. So it, it was, <laughs> it, it was interesting, but uh, you know, the, 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 bo- the bottom line, Larry, is that uh, as I got into the Furman thing, just, just being a different person, um, I, I had a lot more fun because I didn't have all that baggage. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I, I had fun. We had a lot of great times at, at Clemson, but it's just a smaller thing you you were dealing with a much smaller, but, but dedicated audience of people you knew you were making a difference in their lives because it was the only way they were going to hear what their kids were doing. And, and there was a, there was just a, for lack of a better term of freedom that I had because, because I didn't have to try to keep up appearances and living a double life and doing all these other things. I could just go have fun and I could enjoy being at the ballpark and, and and watching a, a a program grow and 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 building something as a radio guy from the ground up that started with with just the conference games on the internet and by the time we got to the 2020 season we actually got had a contract signed where every Furman baseball game was going to be on the radio for the very first time ever and mm. and and to to have built that and of course the pandemic hit and then then they dropped baseball but to but to have built that all that that hard work and, and blood and sweat and tears and to see the appreciation of people and, and to be able to do it in, in a in an environment where I wasn't my own worst enemy. It, it, there, there, it was just it was just a, 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 a really special time. I certainly had no indication or clue that you were leading a double life or that you got a drinking problem. I do remember sometimes I'd go in there, and you'd be preoccupied, like on on your little tablet. I think you were on Facebook or something. And you'd ask me a question, and then go back to typing a <laughs> typing a DM or whatever. And I'm like, is he even listening to me <laughs> on my some of my answers? So I, I remember there being some instances of of me saying, "Is he all there? I don't know." But I, I never. Yeah, I- and, and and that that's very that's very perceptive of you because you know, full disclosure I was probably talking to somebody I shouldn't have been talking wow. to at the time, and, and you know I got to give Angela credit for this. Um, she 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 fought for our marriage long before I started fighting for it, and and then when I started fighting for it and, and where we are now, where God has has led us the, these last eleven years, and we've been married thirty three years the 34th our 34th anniversary if, if lord allows me to see it, it'll be september the first these last uh, 11 almost 12 years have been absolutely the best years of our mm, life our, our married life yeah it, it's it's wonderful our, our relationship is, is so so rock solid now because we're on the same page and, and you know it, it it was mostly me in 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 our in our uh, issues wasn't totally, but it was mostly me. But now we're in lockstep on the same page, and and, and it's made such a difference. And and I'm blessed, man. I, I still, on one hand, I don't believe that I'm old enough to have grandchildren. I'll be 56 on April the 14th, but I've got three of them, 
and they are just incredible. Wow. And and we found out that the old joke is true, Larry, and maybe someday you'll find this out too. If we'd have known how great grandchildren were, we'd have had them first. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's totally different. I mean, life has its challenges now, like, like everybody's life does, but the, the, the direction is different. Most, uh, radio hosts of a three hour daily, uh, show don't, uh, decide to open up a restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Dan Scott's big league barbecue looking back Mm -hmm. was the ego thing. Did, was that a contributor to, Hey man, I'm going to open a damn restaurant and and I I can do it all or or no. There, there may have been a little bit in that. And obviously you're hoping that the name means something, but quite honestly, if you remember the time frame, the economy had tanked Mm -hmm. and the, the situation at the radio station was a lot different then than it is now. We didn't know if the radio station was going to survive. Wow. I don't remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it wasn't something that they broadcast, but internally there was there was some serious question as to as whether the station was going to be able to continue to meet its financial financial obligations and 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 continue doing what it was doing. So I I did not know at that time how much longer my job was was going to be was was going to be there. So, uh, you know, talked with with a friend of mine in the restaurant business and he said in a strange way, this might be the best time to do it. So we we took our tax refund. We got the uh, you know a loan from some friends, and and we opened the restaurant up. And we had never done it before. There was a lot of trial and error. We we rented a building in Liberty because we could afford it. That ended up not being the best place for it because number one, the air conditioning system wasn't good, and it got really hot in the place. And um, we we did it for a year, and, and it contributed to a lot of tension between Angela and I. Uh, and, and we ended up selling it so we wouldn't, I, I joke, so we wouldn't kill each other, but mostly so we wouldn't get divorced. And, um, but it was interesting because by the time we sold it, we found out we could do it. And, and had we been in a better location, like had we been in Clemson as opposed to Liberty, the thing probably would have taken off because you know, people love the food when we could get people to come in. Yeah. But it, it was just one of those situations where, um, you know, you, you you do something because you're trying to support your family, and you know she hated every minute of it. She wouldn't tell me that, but we, as we talked about it later, she hated every minute of it. But she was trying to support something that I thought was the best move for our family at the time, because again, we didn't know, we did not know if the if the radio station was going to survive, and 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 you know, the interesting thing, it was coming off its three best years ever. And then then the economy tanked and and it's like, what do we do? You know, this is all I know, this and how to eat. Well, maybe we can take that and turn it into something. So we did it for a year. And uh, as as I said, mixed results did did not do as well as we had hoped, mostly because of the location. But by the time we figured out that, yeah, we can do this, we got pretty good at it pretty quickly. By that time, circumstances were that it was it was time to, to sell it. So that was not as as much ego driven. It wasn't hey hey I can do anything uh, because I'm Dan Scott. You're, you're hoping the name plays a role in getting people in, but it was more out of what happens if the station goes under. You know, 
Yeah. Um, that, that was, that was, that was the driving force behind it. We just did not know how much longer the current situation we had was going to, was going to be around. Thankfully the station survived, but we didn't know that at the time. What was it like being the center of the college basketball universe a couple of weeks ago, uh, during the upset of Virginia? Surreal. Um, Amazing, and 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 to give it the proper context, you, you got to go back a year because you know you work at 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 the the you know, CBS level like like Jim Nance and Kevin Harlan and those guys. Your your voice is on every major moment uh, and every major sporting event. For and even for larger radio, you know like 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 Clemson's network and Power Five schools, their radio guys get a lot of airtime. Sometimes when big things happen for a school like Furman, you know, that's the case because you're not on that stage. So you go back the previous year and Furman's in the Southern Conference championship game against Chattanooga and it goes to overtime. And, and, and Furman hadn't been to the, to the NCAA tournament at that time in 42 years. And 4.3 seconds to go, Mike Bothwell hits a driving layup that breaks a tie and gives Furman a two-point lead. And you're thinking you're going to the tournament and, and you're going to have your moment as a broadcaster. And then David Jean Batiste hits a desperation 35-footer just ahead of the buzzer to give Chattanooga a one-point win, and they go. And Jim Reynolds, the Chattanooga broadcaster, got the moment. And... uh you know, you think, man, I missed my opportunity or, or, or it just wasn't, wasn't meant to be. So, you know, you fast forward to this year and not only do you get the opportunity, but you get it on an even bigger stage. Um, and, and it's just a matter of, of, of being in the right place in the right time. Uh, you know, God decided I wasn't ready for it last year. He decided this was the time for it to happen. And, you know, the, the next two days, CBS opened their national television coverage with that and my call. <laughs> That's great. And, and it, you know, who could ever expect something like that? Um, you ask about being the center of the universe. I did seven radio interviews the next day from <laughs> Orlando on our off day, two of them national. Um, from people suddenly discovering firm in basketball. And... Um, it was a great moment for the university. It was a great moment for the program. And and I was just blessed to to have a, a small part of it. But it was just interesting, you know, again, with the, the, the 2020 uh, perspective to it, looking back in hindsight, knowing what could have been last year and getting, you know, a little over 365 days later, getting that moment on an even bigger stage was uh, something I never could have never could have dreamed of as the play-by-play guy as I mean you you work for the school yeah so you you should be uh, there there should be some Homer in there of course is that as you mentioned earlier a a while back you know you're asking Tommy Bowden questions so the journalist in you you know wants to ask the journalistic questions while not being a shock jock type as the play-by-play guy is there a line there at all, or is it just pretty much, yeah, man, I'm uh, this is my team, and heck yeah, I'm gonna be, uh, I'm gonna be overjoyed and excited, um, and that's it. 
Well, you know, I think there are a couple of layers to this. Number one, I, I, I get excited anyway, not not on just the mundane, but at the moment calls for it, I get excited. So um, that that's that's just how I am as a broadcaster. Look, people know that Furman signs my paycheck. They know I want Furman to win. But I've always maintained that this goes back to what I learned from listening to Marty Brenneman all those years. You you can't fool people. If if Furman's not playing well, I'm not going to try to convince people they are. If if one of our kids makes a bad pass or a silly foul, I use those words. And, and I've done it a number of times. And that was just a silly foul, 94 feet from the basket. Why are you doing that? So I, I my radio philosophy is simply this, Larry, I am the eyes of the audience. And I have to, the best of my ability, describe to them what's going on in the moment as it's happening. And, you know, to your point, going back to that shot that beat Furman in the Southern Conference Championship game a year ago, I did not get that quote-unquote moment. But the cool thing was the the way that that call worked out for me and, and the way that I handled it, trying to be as professional as possible. I got a number of texts, phone calls, and messages from some nationally known broadcasters who said, you handled that moment as well as it could possibly be handled. Oh, that's great. You know, I, I wasn't lying, crying, saying, no, you know, we, we missed our opportunity. We should have been there, blah, blah, blah. I didn't do any of that. I called it as it happened. People could tell that there was a little pain in the excitement. But, you know, there are other things that are going on, uh, even though the shot, I thought, clearly got off in time and the celebration started. The officials were trying to wave everybody off the floor because they're going to go look at it on the monitor. And so my job is to relay all of that stuff that's going on. And while I got well over 120, 130 texts, phone calls, uh private messages, Facebook, Twitter, all of that after that call when we beat Virginia, and I appreciated every one of them. The ones that I got from the people in the business last year carry a little more weight hmm. because I try to be professional. And for that call to come across to them that way, that 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 meant a lot to me that they would reach out and, and say as much. One of them is Dave Sims. Um, of the, the uh, Seattle Mariners uh, guy and, and who hosts the, uh, the, the basketball show with, with uh, Coach K on Sirius XM and has done so many things uh, over the years in, in, in multiple sports. But he was one of the first ones to reach out to me. And uh, I, 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 uh, I was very appreciative of that. I presume that, the, that it was on Twitter. So that's how people, that's how so many people saw it. Yeah, a, a guy named uh, Jason Burke, and he's the one who, who clipped it last year. You mean Tim and, yes. Tim Burke? Huh? Tim Burke? Is, is, it, is it Tim Burke? Did yeah. I say Jason? Yeah, the guy. Yeah. The guy's a dang genius. Like I don't know how he does it, but he has yeah, like a bank of all these computer screens. He lives in Florida, and he his specialty is finding interesting stuff to to clip yeah, out. Yeah, well, yeah. So he's he's the one who did that last year, and and he he put you know when when Chattanooga beat us within. 15 minutes or less and, you know here's here's the chattanooga winning call with their radio guy here is the westwood one radio call with jason benetti and then sure here's the Furman call 
Wow. And, and, and Reynolds call was seen 50 or 60,000 times. Uh, the Westwood one with Benetti was seen probably 25 or 30,000 times. And I think mine was seen 6,000 times, but it was the impact that it had on me with those people calling. But you fast forward to this year, I think, uh, I looked at it uh, again this morning. Uh, some, the, the, the clip that he put out has been seen like 108,000 times. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and get in perspective, Kevin Harlan's call on CBS of the same things has been seen like over four million. Yeah, but for for the the local radio call, um, to to be seen one hundred eight thousand times just on Twitter alone, uh, it, it was pretty cool. It really was. Dan, is there anything we haven't covered that you'd like to that you'd like to share? Larry, I think that's it. We we've. Uh, we, we've opened up and exposed all the old wounds and, and uh, relived some, some good times. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you having me on the, on the podcast. Uh, the one thing that I, that I would say, if you'll give me just a moment, sure. uh, I, I would, I would love for, for your listeners and, and the Clemson fan base who, who I appreciate so much, who were so good to me in, in the time that I was there. Um, we've got a new a nonprofit organization called Grand Slam Ministries and accompanying weekly Christian radio show. I'm just going to ask you if, if you have a moment to, to go check out our website, grandslamministries.org or danscottshow.org. They're, they're the same thing. And, and peruse around there, maybe check out some of the interviews that we've done. And, um, you know, if, if uh, you decide you have some questions or you want to help, there are ways that you can contact us there. But uh, that's grandslamministries.org. And uh, I would appreciate uh, seeing some traffic on the old website. You know, you know how that goes, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Dan, <laughs> um, what a great testament to rewriting your your story and, and uh, another chapter. And it's a very uplifting chapter indeed. So, so good well, on you for, for that. Well, you know, I... Larry, I'd like to think that I had something to do with it, but but it's 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 all it's all God, it's all Christ. He, he's the one who made the change in my life, and and I just appreciate you giving me the the platform to say it. And and if I have one regret about my time at CP, it's because of the nature of the business, as we discussed, and I did not get a chance to say goodbye, yeah, to my to my radio audience, and and maybe this will serve as a way to do that. So. Uh, the way I always signed off my radio show and the way I sign off all my broadcasts now. To those people who listened to me all those years, I'm Dan Scott, saying God bless you and so long, everybody. All right, great stuff there. What a story. And hey, if his story moved you, if you want to learn more, go to that website, make a contribution. Just awesome to hear uh, how Dan's life and his family's life uh, made a turn for the better. Appreciate the support of our sponsors for helping make this happen. And of course, thanks mostly to every one of you for listening. Really appreciate it. Cheers.